Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's August 9th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Jonathan Last and Andrew Egger of The Weekly Standard. Uh, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Hi, Charlie. Okay. Hey, Charlie. Okay. Well, I, I want to talk about uh, my favorite story of the week, and I think the underappreciated story of the week. Did you, uh, did you read about uh, the turnaround at SeaWorld, which has really surged back into the black after, I'm reading the headline here, SeaWorld surges after free beer and new rides drive visitor growth. So this is another one of these stories that free beer can actually change your the entire trajectory of, of your business. I'm, I'm kind of amazed that uh, Alexandra uh, was at Ocasio-Cortez hasn't come up with the free beer idea. I mean, she's come up with free everything else. But if free beer can save SeaWorld, think what it could do for the United States. Isn't there a great Homer Simpson line about this where he's like, Marge, beer is the answer to the solution to and the cause of all the world's problems. <laughs> so, well, and, Yeah, that's great. And people thought that was a joke at the time <laughs> when, when, in fact, actually my favorite, uh, my favorite uh, Ocasio-Cortez line of the week was that we would be saving all of this money. Did you see this? We'd save all of this uh, money on, on health care. Um, because we wouldn't have to pay for the funerals of people who die uh, because they don't have uh, government health insurance. And, of course, people have pointed out um, who's going to tell her we're all going to die anyway. The funerals are going <laughs> to take live place. forever. Single payer is going to be so great that we will all become immortal. Yeah. I, you know, this raises all kinds of questions about what they actually teach uh, in departments of economics these days. But but we'll get back to that a little bit later. Uh, I want to talk about a number of things, including the Manafort trial, um, the return of the swamp, which has been had, had a pretty good week uh, the, this this week. And uh, Jonathan, you have uh, got yourself into a, uh, I would say, a rather entertaining social media debate about the question of banning Alex Jones. And you have a lot of uh, folks on the right who have uh, circled the wagons and said, you know, it would be an act of censorship or certainly a slippery slope if uh, Facebook and Twitter follow through, and as they apparently have, um, and are banning Alex Jones. You are making the case for banning Alex Jones. Make, I want to make that case. so hard. I want to ban him, just keep <laughs> banning him, and then ban him some more. Uh, look, so the, the, the conservative arguments against banning Alex Jones come along three lines. The, the first of which is this is a First Amendment issue. The second of which is it's an equal protection issue uh, because these, these platforms function like utilities. And the third of which is, uh, well, it, the bannings aren't perfect. And there are lots of bad people like Louis Farrakhan still on the platforms. And so you can't ban Alex Jones. And I, I, all three of these arguments fail utterly and pretty easily, right? So first of all, it is not a free speech issue because this isn't the government, right? This is the, <laughs> the government is not imputing uh, or imposing on Alex Jones's free speech. He's not being fined. He is not being jailed. He does not need to seek a license to say the things he wants to say. Uh, all we have is a case of a private company that says we do not want to allow our platform to be used for this guy's purposes, uh, which is something that like two months ago, conservatives all thought was a good thing with the masterpiece cake decision. Uh, yes, and, and three months ago they were all in favor of free markets in general. But uh, right, but, but I digress. Well, right. John, so, so, Jonathan, I think you missed the uh, perhaps the most pressing 
uh, argument against banning Alex Jones, which is that this is a decision of the shadowy cabal that runs everything, including Facebook, Twitter, the government, uh, you know, of here and everywhere else in the world. And they're the they're going people. to get. Yeah. And they're and they're coming to get, you know, one of the only people who's brave enough to tell the truth around here. Right. Well, I mean, I am trying to make myself useful to the lizard people so that when they take <laughs> over, they'll know that I can help make the humans work in their sugar caves. Wow. Uh, so so part two is the public utility thing. And this, mm-hmm. again, I, I am actually totally open to that. And you can really imagine uh, some examples in which this argument would work. Like, for instance, Google search. If Google search said we are not going to return results of people looking to find Alex Jones, that I mean, Google search, you could say functions as the front door of the Internet itself and is really like a public utility. Uh, And because if somebody is banned by Google search, there really aren't very many recourses for them. Uh, You could like Yahoo. Well, but Yahoo barely exists, right? I mean, (laughs) these things, Google search is like 98% of the market, I think. Um, uh, ISPs. So if Comcast said, you know, we are not going to allow our ISPs to carry Alex Jones content. Well, in most places, the ISP is the only game in town or one of a very, very limited number of choices for people. Uh, So that that would be a perfect public utility argument. But Facebook and YouTube aren't it. Right. I mean, these things are nothing, nothing like those other things. They are not public utilities. If Alex Jones wants to say Alex Jones stuff, all you have to do is like click twice in your web browser and you can get all the Alex Jones you want. And it doesn't cost him all that much. I mean, that's the other part of this. Like, is the accommodation reasonable? Like with the Masterpiece Cake thing, part of the equation in that was, was Masterpiece Cake Shop the only bakery within like a 200 mile radius? And the answer was not. You could walk across the street and there were three other bakeries. That's exactly what this is like right here. Uh, You know, you have LinkedIn, you have Snapchat, you have Reddit, you have all these other things, not to mention the actual internet itself. This is not a utility argument. There, It just doesn't hold up in any way. And the very fact that you can construct arguments in which you can see how the parts of the internet function as real utilities, that actually blows this all up. And then the third part of it is like, oh, well, you know, but Louis Farrakhan is, is still on Twitter or, or still on Facebook. And the answer to that is absolutely. So let's get Louis Farrakhan off of Facebook too. You know, just because you have, you know, a guy is caught for a crime, his defense cannot be, yeah, but there are other criminals out there who haven't been caught yet, so you can't prosecute me, right? I mean, this well, just doesn't, this just doesn't hold water. Well, well, the 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 other argument, I mean, this is related to this though, is this is the slippery slope argument, and given the fact that the Silicon Valley is overwhelmingly monolithically left wing, isn't there a danger that they came for Alex Jones first, and then they're going to, uh, you know, continue to expand this zone of of prohibited hate speech or offensive speech to all kinds of speech on the right that you and I would not put in the category of Alex Jones. I, I you know what? I am open to the possibility that that could happen at some point down the line, but that isn't this. And I mean, my view is like we ought to work under the assumption that we can all work together to make our communities better. And the truth is, like, is the public square that the Internet has created, do we think this is working well and that it's healthy and that everybody is enjoying it? Because I, I don't get that sense. <laughs> I get the sense that people look at it as like a sewer. And like communities have to be free to try to impose some standards. I mean, that's the other question. Do you believe that there is any line anywhere that YouTube should be allowed to to say? So YouTube doesn't allow pornography. Is mm-hmm. that okay? 
Because if you believe it's okay for YouTube to keep pornography off, then all we're doing is haggling about the price here. You agree in principle that they should be allowed to impose some standards. Well, yeah, you but know, I mean, almost, at the same time, you know, every every uh, you know outlet has some sort of a standard. You know, I, I noticed that uh, there's a columnist who I'm not going to n- name unless you want to, you know, for townhall.com, <laughs> who is taking exception to some of the things you, you have written. But, you know, that townhall.com, even though it, it, it allows him to publish, would not allow, I would think, a Holocaust denier to publish as a regular columnist on townhall.com, you know, also would not publish pornography Everybody has a line of some kind, right? Yeah, and in fact, the the Infowars people have a line. If you went and somebody went and dug up the Infowars terms of service on their bulletin board, it's like you do not have a right to your opinions here. We control the platform, and we can take your stuff down, and you can't bitch about it. Okay, do you do you agree with uh, with David French, who wrote a piece in the New York Times, basically saying, you know, yeah, you know, by all means, you have the right to be do this, but but he's raving, he's uh, he's he's uh, waving the red flag over the use of the term hate speech, and and suggesting that that perhaps other standards be used to get rid of Alex Jones, because we do know how the term hate speech can be misused. You have organizations like the you know, Southern Poverty Law Center who have basically made an entire career out of misusing the term hate speech. So do you line up with, with, with David French's analysis here? You know, I, I, to be very honest, I haven't thought closely enough about what sort of standards ought to be applied. But I'm OK with that because my my argument, my entire argument is that we ought to applaud the attempt to create some standards. I mean, we are in this in-between moment in the Internet where we are sort of at social media 2.0 or after it being a real free for all for like five years, people are saying we don't like how that resulted. We don't like the Wild West. and We want to try to clean up these communities. I assume this is a process that this is not a thing which the tech community is going to figure out over the course of 12 months, but it's going to take them like another four or five years to to fine tune this and figure out what the best practices really are. Uh, And so I am open to that. And until the the folks at big tech prove otherwise like i am willing to assume that they are semi reasonable people who are in it to make a profit because the you know, the other tenet of conservatism has always been well the free market will take care of this right. and so if this is a really bad thing and if users are really impoverished by not having alex jones in their feeds they will go someplace else and facebook and youtube will fall because that's what the free market teaches us right mm. andrew you want to win Andrew, you want to weigh in on this? Well, I, I guess my my whole order of thought is sort of decoupled from all of this. Uh, I, I'm I'm approaching this issue less as sort of a uh, conservative thinker and more as just a sort of compulsive Alex Jones hate listener. From time to time, I have I have his <laughs> podcast on my on my podcast app on my phone. And and my question about all of this stuff has has basically just been, you know. First of all, it's still completely easy to access. You know, it didn't take me all that long to figure out how to get him. Uh, you know, where where my ears are. Um, but 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 he he puts out so much content. It's like uh, I mean, I guess it's that's what you can do when you just sort of uh, free associate all day long about you know everything under the sun and you you know whatever you say is fine. Um, but he, but he has like four a four hour spiel like every day is sort of like his his output. And I just wonder like who 
who does that on YouTube? Who 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 occupies their eyes as well as their ears with 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 a constant stream of Alex Jones, uh, such that you know, looking at his you know red, sweating, angry face is such an important part of that experience that you 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 feel like a loss as you move over to an audio only experience. I I, I I've been preoccupied by by sort of pondering that with all of this. Well, the uh, shirt ripping you may have to see the video for. And when he when he goes shirtless, that's what the, that's you, what the wanna, video is really. You, you, you want to see the spittle. By the way, this is sort of uh, on on the well. Before I get I get to this point, see Donald, I, I think you're you are um, vindicating an important conservative principle, which is that we should exercise judgment. We should be responsible. Um, that yes, you, you know, as much as you are in favor of of free speech, understand that the First Amendment does apply to government, not to private entities. Th- these should be pretty much bedrock universally recognized and also when we're talking about alex jones let's put this in context alex jones is somebody who peddles insane deranged lies that hurt people and i don't mean that in the snowflake sense that you know it's somebody who is so demented that they would actually try to convince people that those little children murdered in sandy hook were in fact not murdered that this was all fake the, the the kind of reaction that the grieving parents have gotten. I mean, I think that uh, those of us who are parents cannot even imagine what it would be like to lose a child under those circumstances and then to have a, a, a low-life piece of bleep like uh, Alex Jones, you know, raising questions about whether this was acting, whether this was a fraud. The, the stories of the parents who say they, they, ha- they had to move because of the harassment they got from these you know, let me, uh, yeah, let, I mean, I mean, no, let me I, say I this, Charlie. Yeah, just a the, taste. The the people who think that Alex Jones is an edge case are just flipping insane, right? I mean, the, the, right. I, David Horowitz came, you know, came onto Twitter last night and was like, you know, oh, well, you you think Alex Jones is so bad? Well, what about uh, Rachel Maddow? And oh, Lawrence on. O'Donnell and I and I said, dude, if you honestly think that the and the liberal analog to Alex Jones is Rachel Maddow, then I can't help you. Yeah, because they are different things. Alex, let's let's take conservatives that I don't like. Uh, let's you know I do not like Sean Hannity at all. I don't like the Breitbart guys at all. Alex Jones is nothing like Sean Hannity. I mean, not even the same genus and species, right? I mean, this is in and if people can't look at these things and draw reasonable conclusions, well, then maybe I'm wrong. And like the world is insane and we should just let everything go. Well, well, but I I'll, don't I'll, think I'll, that's the case, right? Yeah, I mean, this well, is we're, like we're a reasonable drawing... person should be able to look at these and say, this thing is not like the other. Sean Hannity and Breitbart, whatever you think about them, are not Alex Jones. You know, Rachel Maddow, would, the, the real fair, the real liberal, uh, liberal analog actually is Louis Farrakhan. Like that's the Alex Jones and Louis Farrakhan are the things that are alike here. And even Louis Farrakhan may not be at that edge, but you know, this is what happens when you when you, you you draw the political lines with with crayons, where there is no nuance whatsoever. And I got to say though that I that I that I wish that there was a bright line between the Sean Hannitys and the Alex Jones. But when you have Sean Hannity peddling the Seth Rich conspiracy theories, you kind of wonder, you know, you do understand why people like Horowitz would say, hey, you know what, if we begin, you know, having consequences for, um, you know, totally irresponsible conspiracy mongering, hey, you know, a lot of us are going to get in trouble here. By the way, I think one of the more interesting stories of the week, I think it was the Daily Beast, um, is pointing out that 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 some folks on the right who have peddled many of these conspiracy theories um, in, in, in Trump world are now trying to push back against QAnon 
you know, this really out there <laughs> thing. And what they're finding is that that's the, the alligator they nurtured in the bathtub has really gotten big and they can't push back on it. They can't stop it. And it's like, wow, you know, um, you know, yes, we peddled Pizzagate and all this other stuff. And we made you think that Hillary Clinton was running a you know, pedophile ring and stuff. But but you're not going to believe that this crazy stuff out here, are you? Yeah, well, when, when you when you build a whole media empire that's entirely <laughs> premised on just, you know, conditioning people to to credulously believe <laughs> the most insane conceivable thing, you know, at some point that stuff just starts to get crowdsourced. You know, like that's the that's the amazing thing about QAnon is it's such a flexible sort of all encompassing brain dump kind of conspiracy theory. Uh, one of the funniest things about that Daily Beast uh, thing t- to me, or that Daily Beast piece, was the fact that it pointed out that for a while Alex Jones and and his brand sort of courted the QAnon thing and were sort of encouraging it until they realized it was not a thing that they could sort of seize hold of and control and, and you, you know... Uh, sort of marshal toward the, uh, all the things that Alex Jones is already obsessed with. It was it was sort of too unwieldy and too collectivized already for that. And at that point it was it was him, you know, he started to try to push back on it. But 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 at the you know, QAnon had already taken hold enough that that plenty of QAnon subscribing people actually started to sort of mistrust Alex Jones, not for any of like not for any of the obviously rational, you know, just so apparent reasons why he's a an untrustworthy hack who you know makes things up for a living to, to peddle herbal supplements, but because he was in league with all of the other lizard people uh, who are actually going to be taken down by QAnon, it's really really incredible. Just the, the the mindset that if 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 the absolute most insane thing that I heard on the internet today, if you push back on that at all, what are you trying to hide? Yeah, so lizard karma is a bitch too, isn't it? <laughs> hey, speaking of before we, we since we've now got the transition from lizards to uh, to the swamp, uh, but the, today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by Quip. The truth is that most of us are brushing our teeth wrong, not for long enough, we forget to brush on time. That's because most brands focus on selling flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing, but not Quip. What makes Quip so different? Well, for starters. Quip's an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of the bulkier brushes while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to keep your teeth clean. Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. Next, Quip's subscription plans are for your health, not just for your convenience. Well, they're very, very convenient. They deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just 5 bucks, including free shipping worldwide. So Quip starts at just $25. And if you go and if you go to getquip.com/standard right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com/standard. That's spelled G E T Q U I P.com/standard. Okay, Andrew, um we uh, spent some time on the podcast yesterday talking about the uh, uh, the indictment of uh, Congressman Chris Collins, which takes place for for insider training, which takes place during the Manafort trial, um, which has been just this this ongoing rolling story of sleaze and corruption. And it's like who, you know, what what what, you know, to top this. Okay, so he had a secret life and he embezzled from Manafort and Manafort, who had the ostrich jackets, you know, had how many different shell companies where he's pocketing money from Ukrainian oligarchs, etc. Et, et um, one of the stories that's gotten kind of lost in the shuffle is a really deep dive into Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. So I'm just going to throw this, uh, this, uh, this, the sleazeball over to you. 
uh, to put this in in some context. Yeah, so it was th- it was just this incredible report uh, came out of Forbes uh, earlier this week, I think it was. Um, it was essentially just laying out, uh, you know, w- Ross is is a guy who has popped sort of in and out of the national consciousness, mostly with with regard to trade. Obviously, he's he's been one of the big, along with Peter Navarro, one of the big apologists for the Trump tariffs. Uh, he was a meme a little while back when he held up the Campbell's soup can, and I don't even remember what what the point was, but that's the it was a meme. Um, and 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 so he, you know, he's he's sort of one of these strange sort of uh, uh, you know behind the scenes uh, commerce figures in the Trump administration the Forbes story is uh, you know but before this he was he was uh, a big you know stock trading guy uh, actual word escaping me um, but but you know he he made a fortune on the on the stock market and in all of these uh, you know companies that he that he uh, made and led and um, and 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 that was sort of Trump's uh, big pitch for him when he when he brought him on he's like look for a commerce secretary i don't want a poor person he actually said that he so he brings on this you know multimillionaire. the forbes story is really interesting because it just sort of goes through uh ross's history at all of these different companies with all these different all these different interactions with different people it's like yeah he was basically or it is alleged by many 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 of these people that he was pretty much skimming money off all of them whenever he got the chance uh really without much discretion just sort of anytime he saw money in front of him he would go after it and and grab it you know it, it's and it's it, it is mind-boggling to read the read these reports because you know it's 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 tons of lawsuits tons of different claims brought against him by tons of his former employees um at, at this one firm uh that that uh, bore his name something ross uh, that, mm-hmm. that he worked at before um that was sort of his flagship uh, place in 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 2006 forbes makes the point uh all of the top leadership in in that company him and six other people they are either there's one guy who's still there who's running the place now there's ross who is now commerce secretary there's another one of them who is his chief of staff and the other ones are all suing him <laughs> it's, all it's, suing. yeah, yeah no, it's really this, remarkable this, is not, this, this story basically says no this guy's not just a grifter he basically will take anything that's not nailed down it, right you know in in a normal world this would be one of the consuming stories of the week but it's uh it's it's almost an afterthought so um you know we're all watching the uh the the, the manafort trial which folks focused on rick gates who turns out to be um a, a rather sleazy crook in his own right uh apparently was uh, was involved in uh, virtually every criminal activity that uh, Paul Manafort is alleged to have been in, uh, engaged in, but also, you know, had uh, had his secret life, uh, has apparently embezzled, same sort of thing uh, that he also embezzled from, from Manafort and maybe even from the inaugural committee. This guy was deputy campaign manager for the president of the United States and, and really served in the administration, you know, long after Paul Manafort uh, left. Do you get any sense, though, did did, you know, has has Rick Gates's credibility been shredded to the point that it actually might help Paul Manafort or what your your, your take on what's what's going on? Well, here? well, that that has certainly been uh, the legal strategy that that Manafort has mm-hmm. pursued. And and it's you know, it, it's it's clearly not a bad strategy. Right. I mean, Gates is. Gates's credibility, right? Yeah. Gates's Gates's credibility, his whole, um, you know, his whole value uh, to the Mueller team is that he's willing to spill the beans on all of this really, really reprehensible, extremely illegal and immoral stuff that he and Manafort got up to back in, you know, back in the day. But 
but you know, obviously part and parcel to his spilling the beans on that, you know, he he can't help but you know really damage his own credibility as well. So uh, I mean, j- just in terms of coming across as an extremely sleazy, opportunistic guy. And so what Manafort and his lawyers have tried to do, it's really, I mean, it's it's, it's amazing. They they've basically tried to portray it as though Gates was the guy who was sort of like you know, masterminding all of the criminal stuff all along, and that Manafort was just sort of his dupe. Which which in yeah. in reality is obviously you know at least okay all right. Prosecutors allege uh, that that it was the other way around, and the, the evidence seems to indicate that it has, has always been the other way around. That Gates has been Manafort's lackey for years. He Manafort brought him on board the Trump campaign. You know, I mean, that, that just going back forever, Manafort has been you know the the big shot. Um, but but you know that's that's been their strategy, and and it's you know. It, it's hard to say how that's going to work out. I mean, the evidence really seems to be stacked against Manafort. It seemed that way for months and months. Um, but, you know, anything can happen on it. And, and he has another trial after this one that he's still going to have to get through. But anything can happen, you know, in a, in a situation With a jury, like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a very hostile a very hostile judge. Any thoughts about, I'm, I'm, I guess I, I'm going to confess up, up, up front that I'm, I'm probably more underwhelmed than I should be by this uh, this uh, undercover audio of uh, of Devin Nunez um, at a at a fundraiser in in Washington State talking about the the impeachment of Rod Rosenstein, basically making the case that you have to have a Republican majority because we are the only ones who are going to be able to protect Donald Trump. I'm underwhelmed because I mean, kind of, haven't we known that that's Devin Nunez's strategy and that's what he thinks and. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this is supposed to change anybody's opinion no. about Devin Nunez. I mean, he's been, you know, his his utility to uh, the White House and to the Republican base is that he's, you know, a dog in the fight for Donald Trump. Um, and and you know, just getting a little bit more insight into what has already been transparently obvious for for months and months. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess I guess it's embarrassing for him. I, I mean, any time you see that kind of like backroom sausage uh, being made kind of stuff, it's it's. Uh, obviously usually embarrassing for the person involved but i I mean i don't think politically it's going to hurt him or anything like that if anything it you know it endears him further to the president which is yeah i I would think so you know jonathan this is one of those moments where you go to you know that you know how many years has it been that people you know have still not figured out that anything you put online goes out to the entire universe so there's there's nothing private that is on the internet and also I, i wonder why it's taken politicians so long to realize that that every time they speak, even in a private setting, every person in the room has a camera in their pocket and a recorder in their pocket. And that's like there is no private off the record fundraiser thing that you can say that is probably not going to, you know, be revealed. And they you know, never get that. Maybe I'm just paranoid, but I assumed this whole thing was not a leak designed to embarrass him, but was exactly what Andrew said which was a a direct pipeline to look i mean devin nunes like sending this to an, in an email to trump is not going to get trump's uh, <laughs> attention but having it be a leak where he is caught telling republican donors you know by god we get a, <laughs> we're the ones standing here to take the bullet for him like that's going to be on fox and friends in the morning and the, okay, so the this president is a conspiracy will see it. theory okay this is the yeah, nunes yeah i just assume that this theory. is like nunes you know well, trying right. to make sure the president knows what he's doing for him and uh, and god knows look if you're Devin Nunes, like, what else do you hope to get out of this? Oh, God. Well, I know he's going to get us kicked this off is Twitter. The one, the one bit of fallout, which I have not read anything about yet, um, is that he was doing this in a fundraiser for Kathy McMorris Rogers, um, 
who turns out to be more vulnerable than anyone had thought uh, out in Washington state. She had that uh, jungle primary where she barely was ahead. She, you know, her seat had really not been on people's radar screen as, as a possible Democratic pickup. Now it is. And then suddenly this thing comes out, which means that now in Washington state, she has to go around wearing Devin Nunes around her neck, which nobody would like to do on a regular basis anyway. OK, Jonathan, I want to ask you about an article you wrote earlier this week. Because we've been talking about this sort of culture of corruption, and obviously this is going to be an issue. You know, these these, these really rich people who are who are you know grifting and crafting in Washington, uh, r- raising the question about uh, well, actually maybe this is not a a direct line to your, to your article at all, but you know you you know that you're going to have that theme. You're also seeing you know a lot of class warfare out there on on the hustings. And a lot of Republicans and conservatives, and I think I would put myself in this category, you know, are, are just simply assume that if the Democratic Party lurches too far left, that they make themselves unelectable. If they're in favor of Medicare for all, uh, if they're in favor, you know, free colleges, you know, massive increases in the minimum wage, all sorts of uh, government spending programs, that that the Democratic socialism is is basically the roadmap to the wilderness for the Democrats. But you make the case where you think that, in fact, that's 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 wrong, that the Democratic socialist could be elected. Yeah, I and this is this was something that, frankly, was counterintuitive to me I, uh, as well. I had sort of always thought you know, it was part of 2016 uh, that, you know, look, the Americans are basically in the center and you've right. got to be you've got to at least present yourself as being a centrist candidate in order to get elected. Now, that has changed with reelect campaigns. Um, you know, the, the Obama's uh, 2012 reelect and uh, Bush's 2004 reelect were base turnout elections where they actually had no interest in independent voters. They just went after their base, right. became more and more extreme. Um, but I, I wonder uh, if maybe what we have done is we've, we've traditionally viewed our modern presidential elections through the lens of left-right instead of through the lens of extreme versus moderate. And so what I did was I just sort of flipped it around and said, okay, let's not think about this being a left-right, but think about whether the candidate running was part of the party's mainstream or out to the side. And what what I found was that since 1980, which is what I'm just going to arbitrarily treat as like the beginning of the modern politics as is still reasonably recognizable to what we're doing now, um, every time a party picks a mainstream candidate, uh, and so here are, the, here are the examples, Walter Mondale over Gary Hart, Bob Dole over Pat Buchanan, Al Gore over Bill Bradley, uh, Kerry over Dean, McCain over Romney, Romney over, San, over Santorum, Clinton over Sanders, over Sanders, uh, the theoretically more mainstream and more electable candidate lost. And when you go through and look at it the opposite, uh, where the parties were picking candidates who were, in theory, more out of the mainstream than the candidate that they were running against. The only one of them to lose a general election was Mike Dukakis in 1980, uh, 1988. So this is, I mean, this is something. And it's, mm. I, I would say if you look at the 2016 election and your takeaway from that is, oh, well, if a democratic socialist runs, then they can't possibly win. Then you're high. Yeah. Like, I mean, the lesson is that anything can happen. This isn't to say that, like, putting Ocasio-Cortez on the on the ballot assures the Democrats victory. I don't think that's the case. And I, you know, despite everything, I would say that if you look at the world around us uh, with 3.9 percent unemployment and GDP growth at 4.1 percent, Donald Trump would have to be a slightly better than even money favorite, you know, just no matter what. 
right. starting right now. But but the assumption that a Bernie Sanders type candidate who is so far out of the mainstream will necessarily mean that Trump is reelected. I just think that that's a nutsy nutsy thing to assume well uh, especially you know given to 2016 you know anything can happen and so the conventional wisdom you know did, did get blown up i do wonder though because the the the, the shifting in, in the electorate right now seems to be in college educated suburbanites and I, I could see them being open to voting for virtually any mainstream democrat over trump but if it comes down to a choice about a you know 30 trillion dollar increase in federal spending for health care and all of these other democratic socialist ideas i have a hard time imagining those voters they may not vote for donald trump but I have a hard time imagining them going okay we're so offended by trumpism um and that, that we're willing to make this this lurch to what Venezuelan politics. Yeah, but you know, but people don't really care about the ideas they say they care about, right? I mean, they, God knows. Look at the Republican Party in the age of Trump. <laughs> I mean, all of these things that they've spent twenty years saying they believe in suddenly they don't they don't give a crap about at all. Uh, and it could very well be true of suburban voters as well. I don't know. I mean, I mean, that's the real question. Do you have the centrist voters? Turns out are not especially ideological, and the you base voters are so ideological that you need to feed them red meat to get their turnout numbers high. Is it that we have had such a shifting in the electorate uh, and so much polarization that it turns out all elections are base turnout elections now? That's very possible as well. I mean, I would say at some point in the next four to eight years, we're going to get a really good deep dive statistical analysis of what has happened. But it does look to me like since 2000, American politics has been undergoing a another fundamental sea change in how these things work, where the independent voters just don't matter as much anymore. And maybe that's because people are polarized. Maybe it's because of changes in turnout pattern. Uh, but what it means is that like everything is up for grabs. And the other thing is, it is very hard, I think, to disentangle like what is the difference between Trumpian nationalist populism and democratic socialism? Like these things, they look a lot alike, I think. And, you know, there are some tonal differences here and there. But uh, people are desperate. I mean, you know, the, the Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump together got like 50 percent of all the primary votes in the, the 2016 primaries. Mm. I mean, this just shows you that the parties are unsettled in ways which they have not been, I think, in any of our lifetimes. Yeah, well, you, you know, one, I'm, I'm a little skeptical, but, but one data point that uh, may back this up, though, is uh, looking at Great Britain, where who would have thought that uh, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party would stand any chance whatsoever of getting into power? And yet that is, you know, maybe still somewhat of a long shot, but it's not inconceivable. So, I mean, they had the same argument there, you know, that if the if the Labour Party, which was already pretty left wing, that if it took this you know, bizarre uh, turn to the left, that it would make itself absolutely toxic. And that apparently is not the case. So, yeah, well, we're yeah, going to be totally testing true. a lot of these. We're going to be testing a lot of this. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow. And we'll do this all over again.